This is a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. Go to allthews.3cr.org.au. Hi, this is Marissa from the Doin' Time Show. Thanks for tuning in. We're on summer break on Mondays from 4 or 5pm and we'll be back on Monday the 22nd of January 2024. We've selected some fantastic highlights for you from across 2023. So stay tuned and enjoy the show. Hello and welcome to International Day of People with Disability. The theme for today is health sovereignty. And first up, we're going to be speaking with June Reamer, who is the Deputy Chief Executive Officer, First People Disability Network. And we spoke to June last year on International Day of Disability And we had a really great conversation and story format and we're going to be speaking with her very shortly. And then after that, and also I wanted to say that June is also a First Nations woman and she will tell us what land she's from when the time comes shortly. And then after that, we're going to be speaking with Ross Sackley, who has been an educator for most of her working life and has taught in the ACT and New South Wales um, in schools. And she's also a First Nations woman and has had and has vision loss. And then after that, we will speak with Mareki, who is the co-president of People with Disability Australia. So first off, I want to um, honour June and welcome her to the program. Hello, welcome. Good morning and hello. Um, first and foremost, I'd like to acknowledge that we're on many different countries here today for those listening. Um, I'm a Gumbengia Dungadi woman from the north coast of New South Wales. Lovely to have you back, June. And I, I want to Thank send you. out a, a cheerio to Callie Cox as well, um, who, who joined us last year um, at this time and she's not well. Yeah. And I'd also like to acknowledge Roz. So Roz is actually one of our founding members of our organisation back in the early 2000s that, you know, understood that we need the representative body for mob living with disability and their families. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, she, she's an amazing contributor and um, I, I'm hoping to interview her after you. So, June, let's talk about health sovereignty. I mean, basically the focus that I'm having on today's show is really more about over-policing of people with disability and the criminal justice system, particularly focusing on First Nations. But I suppose I just wanted to hear from you, what's close to your heart and what would you like to talk about? What's your passion? So, obviously, my passion is to, you know, change the narrative in regards to how First Nations people with disability are viewed across society. And it's important to understand that the work of First Peoples is around... Um, social justice and the implementation of, you know, the human rights of people and their um, support, you know, it doesn't matter what avenue they're pursuing or where they find themselves. We need to understand that, you know, our mob live with many differences, but more importantly, you know, culture is, you know, a part of who they are. And we don't get this really well in Australia, per se, in regards to, you know, people living with disability. So I think, you know, it's important to understand, um, you know, that social inclusion versus the medical model of support. 
and, um, you know, that people come, you know, with many um, different issues, you know, in their life in pursuing, you know, health and well-being and what that looks like for individuals. And, and across, you know, the service systems, whether it's justice, education and that, we don't really understand, you know, disability well and what those needs may be for an individual to live a good life. So, you know, our work is, you know, ongoing and always, you know, the structural issues impact on, you know, us as an organisation trying to change you know, how we think about, you know, supporting the most vulnerable in our communities. Absolutely. And in in fact, there's just been so much going on, hasn't there, in terms of Aboriginal deaths in custody. Um, there are so many complex issues faced by nurse, First Nations people with disability in the criminal justice system, over-representation and indefinite detention and First Nations people with disability are increasingly over-represented in all aspects of the criminal justice system, including police and the courts and the prisons. What do you think of that? Yeah, I mean, 100% you're on the point. And the problem is the, the system has not changed, you know, um, in decades around how they look at people living with differences and you know, from the first port of call, which it may be, you know, um, at the police desk when, you know, a person with disability is pulled up, whether it's psychosocial, intellectual or that, but there isn't those supports put in place. So, you know, what we've always talked about, you know, overall we need a disability commissioner, but more importantly, we need more disability advocates in those first port of calls to walk alongside those individuals to, you know, support those that they're, you know, confronting them with, whether it's allegations or whatever it looks like, to understand this person may need additional needs in understanding, you know, what's happening at that moment. And because of, you know, as we all know, you know, the long history in Australia around systemic racism, you know, systemic um, not understanding, you know, our, our people with disability you know, unconscious bias, all of this language has an impact on our families over and over again. The systems are not built to incorporate, you know, people living with differences. And the support networks are not in place to support those also on the other side of the counter to, you know, acknowledge, you know, who who, who is standing in front of them and what additional needs they may have. Um, you know, we, we talk about all the time that there needs to be, you know, long-term sustainable training, you know, in across all these um, different cohorts to understand disability from a First Nations perspective. And we're seeing small changes, but they're not coming fast enough. So the consequences yeah. are, you know, it's devastating consequences, as you said, a hot you know, the ongoing rate of deaths in custody is just not good enough anymore for, you know, um, the country we live in. You know, we can't, you know, it can't be anymore. It can't be the status quo that a person, you know, with diabetes is dying in custody. That's exactly right. The lack of knowledge around, you know, the, the needs of individuals that have need other supports in their life we know from the Disability Royal Commission, most of our institutions that are incarcerating 
people with disability are not accessible. So we hear about, you know, grown men having to be in, you know, support nappies all day long because there's not an accessible toilet. We hear of inmates being paid vouchers to be personal carers, you know, inside supporting those living with disability, which it's, the you know, the structures need to be rebuilt, rethought about, but education from the starting point. Um, you know, needs to be implemented across many areas. We need disability advocates in the, in the courtrooms. You know, so at, at, at so many levels, starting points, we need people representing and walk along, alongside those that may not be able to navigate a system that was never designed for them. Exactly, and it's pretty important at this point to even say to listeners, and I'm sure you would agree with this, that Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people are 14 times more likely to be imprisoned with significant, you know, portions reporting disability, including psychosocial and intellectual disabilities. 100%. And the, and the point is what we need to understand from the beginning, First Nations communities have always been inclusive about looking after their own. And, and there's many, you know, um, narratives around why that's happened. But we've always been an inclusive society. So what we know and understand is we have high statistics of undiagnosed disability or particularly psychosocial or other, you know, intellectual disabilities. And, you know, the incarceration rates of this cohort is higher than ever because their interaction of not understanding the basic, you know, um, rules of society, you know, creates for them, you know, um, untold barriers, you know, and people not understanding. So, again, I go back to that ableism and racism. They're seen as a, a bad black person first rather than a person that has additional needs. That's exactly right. And obviously colonisation and transgenerational trauma significantly impact First Nations people with disability as well. Yes. And, you know, I mean, we need to, you know, also change, you know, how we think about people with disability. And that's in general, you know. But we are the only country in the world that locks up 10-year-olds. You know, it, it's just not good enough anymore. And we have so many strong advocates, you know, across the disability rights base that, you know, are saying why this is not appropriate. You know, we're setting them up for life. But, you know, we know a lot of it, particularly our children are undiagnosed. And the reason they're undiagnosed because the parents are afraid to step forward into a system that, one, you know, takes our children away you know, but to incarcerate our community rather than intervention and other programs that can support, you know, the, the, the um, issues around living with, dis- you know, differences. Absolutely. June, thank you so much for coming onto the program. I'm going to be interviewing Rosalind next and then I'm hopefully going to be crossing over to Mariki, who is the co-president of People with Disability Australia to speak with her about disability in general. Are there any final comments that you wanted to make? I mean, how can we actually improve the justice system? 
to be more well, understanding. Well, I think everyone needs to open their heart and understand that, you know, as a collective, you know, we all walk differently on this earth and we need to open our hearts and understand where people may be coming from and really listen. You know, we're not doing enough listening. So, you know, days like International Day of People with Disability, hopefully, you know, the sector, the government, non-government um, cohorts really think about what it means to, you know, the barriers that we create in society for all our people with disability to be included. And justice is just another barrier that impacts on First Nations people. Absolutely. June, thank you so much for, for coming onto the program. It's really important on this International Day of Disability to hear voices that are often taken out of mainstream media. Thanks so much. Thank you and appreciate it, uh, your time too. Take care. Thank you. Thank you. Bye. Bye-bye. And that was June Rima from who is the Deputy Chief Executive Officer, First Peoples Disability Network, speaking about First Nations people and the criminal justice system. Disabled people are worth every bloody penny. I'm okay with spending money on the supports that we need. There's more than 400,000 people who should be on the DSP, but are on Job Seeker instead. I've got a life to live. I've got commitment. Like everybody else in society. The only way to provide meaningful support is stronger grassroots movements. These institutions are never going to be our saviour. If everyone was the same, it would be a born old world we live in. We need to do a lot of work in this country around shifting community attitudes towards people that don't fit the white, able, straight, cisgendered person. 3CR. Stay tuned, stay radical. You being disabled doesn't make you a burden or a stressor on a relationship. That's just what capitalism is teaching us. It's teaching us that if we're not well, we're not successful. No, it's it's totally not the case. You're listening to 3CR's International Day of People with Disability broadcast. Many refugees who still don't have the right to work are feeling the impacts of the cost of living crisis, leaving them unable to put food on the table for their families, let alone afford rent, health care and other essentials. Give to ASRC's end-of-year appeal and help shine a light of hope for refugees and people seeking asylum this festive season. Donate today at asrc.org.au forward slash donate. A3CR supporter. Next up, we're going to be speaking with Roz Sackley and she is going to be introducing herself in a second and talking about what land she's from. She's a proud First Nations woman from the central west of New South Wales, but currently resides on the central coast. She's got total vision loss through meningitis as an infant. Roz has been an educator for most of her working life and has taught in the ACT and New South Wales in the primary and senior secondary TAFE and university sectors. She has participated in various Indigenous disability research projects, predominantly with Dr Sharon Kerr, 
She's been involved in various disability organisations over many years and has served as an Indigenous representative on numerous committees, has established a micro-business in 2015 and specialises in Braille and audio production but is pleased to collaborate in various projects. Roz is extremely interested in numerous human rights issues including employment, education, housing, health of people with disability and wider issues concerning refugees and asylum seekers. Interests also include include use, development, distribution and accessibility of technology, environmental concerns and animal welfare in every sense, loves reading, writing and greatly believes in literal th- lateral thinking in relation to finding solutions to perceived problems. Roz, I, I want to welcome you to the program. It's so lovely to have you. Oh, thank you, Marissa. I wanted to read out your bio in full and I'll tell you why. Because a lot of the time, people with disability... And I think particularly people with disability with vision loss, I I think that vision loss is often considered by many, many people the worst disability that there is. And I wanted to read it out to you, read out the bio that you sent me in full to honour you. So I hope that's okay. That's fine, yep. And it's so great to have you on the show. You've been a really great mentor for me. And actually, June um, Rima acknowledged you on air um, as being a, a founding member of a committee. Oh, really? Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> so, Roz, tell us a bit about yourself. Tell us about what land you're from and, and also if you could talk a little bit about your story. The theme for disability is health sovereignty and I'm going to be focusing quite a lot on First Nations people in the criminal justice system. Yeah, well, I'm a Niampa... I'm um, Pa and Wiradjuri, and most of my uh, immediate family live at Menindi at present, and you'll know Menindi because they had those horrific fish kills because uh, the uh, in 2020, and another recent one as well. But they. Um, it's on the Darling River, Menindi, and I remember going there when I was tiny and swimming in that beautiful, clear, clean water. But you wouldn't go in it now. It's too, um, it's got too much algae, and uh, really, river hasn't been uh, respected. So a lot of the um, ecosystem of the river has been completely damaged. So um, that's why the uh, fish kill took place. So that's been... uh, But I've got a lot of aunties and uh, cousins there still. I live on the central coast, but try to get out as soon as... uh, as quickly as I can. But I'm not sure if I'll get there this Christmas, but I'll certainly make it next year. Oh, that's awesome, Roz. Roz, there's a little clicking sound there. Do you, are you aware? Can you hear that? Is it better? Yeah. Thank you Is so much. Yeah, that's lovely of you. No Thank worries. You. So let's talk about you. I mean, you're a, a stolen generation, a member of the stolen generation. Can Can you talk a bit about that? A bit about your story? Yes. Well, I was um, was about eighteen months old when I got meningitis. 
and uh, I was in uh, at Lake Angelico at that stage at Murrin Bridge uh, Aboriginal Mission and I uh, because of policies and illness and whatever I was taken uh, from my community there but <clears throat> I've always been lucky I've always known where my family is so um, I've been very very lucky in that way because as you know a lot of people that were removed never found their families or found them too late so in that kind of respect I have been lucky did that were you adopted out or did they put were you placed in a home I was taken to um, uh, a nursery for blind babies oh. and then I, well, I don't remember much about it, of course, only little glimpses of stuff, you know. Uh, and then I was at Runga Vision Impaired School and North Rocks. Oh, wow, okay. So which you... was the Royal oh. Institute, which is now Next Sense. And, um, yes, yeah, so all that's gone. My goodness, Ros. So you you were taken away, yeah, and you were put in the school for the blind, yep, and with no family. And and how old were you when you? Who took care of you? I don't know. Um. I mean, like as you got older, you know, when you reached about, you know, adolescence, and you know. Oh, I was very lucky. I mustn't have been too naughty because I made a lot of friends along the way. And uh, I, you know, I, I had some foster families later on. And, um, and you know, I, a, a lot of things are a bit blurry. Sure. But I, I, I still have lifelong friends uh, from then. Uh, so I really, you know, value their friendship. And, of course, like later on through work, I, I made more friends in uni and uh, as well. So uh, it's hard to know how these things fit together sometimes, but it's just amazing that, you know, uh, that, that they do fit together. Tell us about your Braille you believe in Braille literacy? Talk to us about Braille. Oh, and I'm not yes, necessarily talking about what Braille is because I think everybody knows that. You can Google it. But <laughs> but tell us about what Braille means to you. Well, literally, Braille is literacy. And especially for deafblind people. And you can tell if when, when kids are growing up, if they're only using audio... They don't always know how things are spelt if they're not taught properly to go back and check. If there's a word that they don't understand, it's just like, you know, if someone chooses the wrong word on the spell check, uh, they, they won't, you know, they could get themselves in, um, you know, their work won't look as good. That's exactly so, but, right. Braille is literacy uh, to blind people. It really is, and and you've you're an educator, like you've taught in quite a few schools too, haven't you? Yes, yeah, yeah. Um, so 
some of that was quite horrific, but I'm glad I did it um, uh, because I, uh, you know, I've learned a lot and made made lots of friends as well. You really have, despite the fact that you were. Ah, oh, it's just it beggars belief, honestly, Roz. I won't talk about it too much because we don't want you to, you know. I don't want to make it too, but I, I, it's just a biggest belief that you were put in in, in the in the school and taken away from your family. Like, yeah, I went home as often as I could. They came to get me. Uh, you know, my father would come and, and pick me up, and uh, and then later on, but um, I lost him in. Oh, I was work. I was working by the time um, I lost him, but. When I was small, yes, they did used to come and get me. And we always travelled by train. And that's still my favourite transport, trains. Yeah, I love trains too, actually. it's. Uh... And you've also got a Braille Sense 6? I do, yes. I love my Braille Sense 6. In fact, I'm using it now. It's so wonderful to be able to, on, dis- on International Day of Disability, to, to interview somebody who's got, vision loss like myself it just makes me feel feel better so Roz um tell us about what you think are some of the complex issues faced by First Nations people with disability in the criminal justice system what are your thoughts on that particularly with youth oh yeah oh, I, I really believe that a lot of people are in the wrong place at the wrong time and, you know, I don't know what percentage, but, that, that you know, a lot of them shouldn't be there. And I believe there's not enough education in prisons. And I'm not even sure about the, the, uh, the rehab kind of or, or, you know, what type of employment uh, they, they, uh, they can get into for later. I remember years ago, the prisoners at Parramatta, they used to, um, sorry, this is a bit off topic, no. but they did, they, did, uh, they did a lot of uh, brow production. Did they? Yes. We need and to go and get a program going, Ros. Sorry? We need to get a program done in the prisons there. Oh, we certainly do. We intend to, um, um, to try and do something about it because it can't keep going the way it is you know it's just horrific like some people are lucky um they have been able to channel like channel their painting and you know get get education through and 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 write and you know um paint and but i don't know it doesn't happen for everyone it doesn't. And music. I remember I used to teach at Eora College and uh, at, at Chippendale and they had a, um, a program to go into prisons. And at one stage I used to go in uh, with a colleague and we used to do jewellery making. Wow. And that was... It wasn't specifically... Aboriginal Torres Strait Islander program, but look, 
I'll help anyone if they're in that situation. If I can bring any, you know, light light to their pro, to their uh, situation. Roz, also just a, a final question because I've got to go into my next interview soon. But yes. just in regards to ableism and racism, oh. how does that has that impacted on your life? I mean, I just wanted to ask you how that has impacted on your life with your lived experience. Of course, uh, of course it, it, it affects anyone with disability. But it's my belief that it depends on your own philosophies to get through things. And thank heavens, I, you know, I, I do think about things, do sort things out and try to be and try to help others as well in advocacy. Um, yes, but ableism, it can be very, very damaging to some people and especially if they've got other other disability. I'm very lucky. I'm only blind. So, you know, I don't have intellectual disability or anything like that. So I'm very lucky in that kind of sense. But, of course, it does have an effect. You have to be really careful not to internalise this stuff. It's very true. And because ableism, how would you define ableism? It's using power. It's really a control thing as well. Like, you won't know as much as I do. And, you know, this kind of thing uh, about a certain subject. Or It is trying to get points. It's trying to throw the power back to themselves and... Um, and they don't respect the big thing about it is they don't respect people with disability. And lived experience is paramount with oh, yeah. First Nations and and disability as well. That's right. Yeah. Yep. So I, I, I don't know, but it's very very damaging to some people. And. The business, you, you have a small business. Do you want to talk about that? Yes, I've got a micro business um, and it's braille and audio production. Um, I do have a part-time job as well to kind of supplement that because it comes in waves. Like, you know, you won't have anything and then everything will happen. So, but it, you, you have to pay your rent and stuff. So I do have both, yes. But you know, and you do commercial businesses as well. Like if someone, if a bit like an organisation wants something brailed, you do yeah. that for them. Oh, certainly, yeah, yep. And uh, I've I've done some interesting projects over the years. So do you want to tell us um, a point of contact in case because it is terribly important for to have not only to have peer support but also to to particularly women to have business with people with disability? Yeah, yeah. Um, will I just give my mobile out or...? Whatever you feel. Mobile, email? Yeah, I think mobile is easier. Yeah, And ahead. I can... Um, so it's 0417 Two, three, seven. It makes me so happy to be able to 
read or have someone read out their number for a business, particularly in Braille production, because Braille literacy is really important. Yeah, it is. It's totally important. Yeah, yep. So, thank you, Marissa. Thank you. And, and thank you so much for coming onto the program. And I'll send you a link. Oh, okay. Please do a lot of editing. <laughs> <laughs> no way. This was authentic. <laughs> this is authentic. Absolutely. Down to the headphones. <laughs> All right, Roz. Thanks a lot. Thank you very much. Bye-bye. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Bye. And that was Roz Sackley speaking about mainly stolen generation and stolen generation and um, what happens in prisons is very much interconnected, but she's very special. It's all in regards to also speaking about her vision impairment and the Braille. Hi, this is Marissa from the Doin' Time show and you're listening to a summer repeat of Doin' Time. Because the Palestinian fight isn't just the Palestinians' fight, it's all our fight because it's a fight not just about land, it's about a fight for freedom. Everybody should be standing here today saying free Palestine. Solidarity with our Palestinian brothers and sisters on behalf of the Bumbanja Nation, my people who've never ceded their sovereignty. We should be recognising Palestine as a state and recognising the rights of Palestinians. 3CR, stay tuned, stay radical. Because if we don't talk about us, everybody else is going to and they're going to get it wrong. 3CR's International Day of People with Disability broadcast. What's taking place in Palestine is horrendous. The people of Gaza who have survived ethnic cleansing, three wars and a 16-year siege are now facing the biggest attacks ever mounted against them. This will only stop if governments like ours demand that it stop. Here are some ways that you can keep yourself informed and involved. Listen in to Palestine Remembered every Saturday morning at 9.30am or listen to the podcast. Join the APAN mailing list at apan.org.au for updates, news about actions you can get involved in and where you can donate to provide humanitarian assistance. Listen to other news and current affairs programs on 3CR that also cover Palestine. The oppression of the Palestinian people has been going on for 75 years. It has to stop. You can be part of making that happen by staying informed and active. APAN is a proud supporter of 3CR. Next up, we are going to be speaking with Mareka, who is the co-vice president of People with Disability Australia, the peak body representing disabled Australians. She is a retired Paralympian, having won medals in swimming and a strong advocate for disability and human rights. Mareka, welcome to the program. Thank you for having me, Marissa. And I wanted to actually issue a very special thank you to Anastasia from People with Disability Australia for organising your interview. Yeah, Tell we're always to help with um, speaking things like this that are so important to our members and people with a disability around Australia. 
Indeed. So you identify as, as a woman with a disability, and but you're not First Nations, but it's still good to have you to talk about disability and you wanted to talk about uh, your role in advocacy as well for people in the criminal justice system, yes? Yes, uh, the PWDA being a peak body, along with First Peoples Network, really strongly do advocate uh, around the rights of First Nations people um, in all areas, including in the justice system. So I'm able to speak to uh, our organisation's work and statements at a national and international level on that issue. Absolutely. So let's have a discussion then on the complex issues faced by First Nations people with disability in the criminal justice system. Tell us about your work in that area. So we work um, really on the basis of nothing about us without us that applies to people with disability. And in this case, people with disability who are of a First Nations background and some things that come to mind for me straight away on this topic is a really alarming statistic that nearly half of all deaths in custody since the Royal Commission into Aboriginal Deaths have involved first people with psychosocial or cognitive disabilities. And that really just underscores the urgent need to address that this particular crisis. It's uh, one of the biggest human rights issues in the right now. So would you say that socioeconomic factors and community disadvantage, advantage, talk about, can we talk about how that plays a role in the increased likelihood of First Nations people with disabilities being caught up in the justice system? Yes. Um, so there are um, a lot of socioeconomic factors. Um, FPDN, which is First People with a Disability Network, have exposed that people in detention are often punished instead of receiving a critical disability related support, especially for those with cognitive impairments or psychosocial disabilities. So you start to see that when you have people with disability interacting with the justice system and with people who are from a First Nations background interacting with the justice system, individually those groups are more likely to be interacting with the justice system at all levels and running into challenges, and when you combine the two, that um, presents this more pressing situation. Uh, one of the things that uh, our organisation has a position on is supporting SPD and call to raise the min minimum age of criminal responsibility to fall in line with the United Nations Committee on the Rights of a Child recommendations. We recommend disproportionate impact on First Nations children, including those with disabilities, and it continues to perpetuate the cycles of injustice and disadvantage. So tell, tell us a little bit about, um, in, if you like, the philosophy in terms of um, uh, the work and, and some of the things that you do with disability in particular. So not me personally, but the entire organisation work with people um, and in particular closely with our colleagues at First People with a Disability Network. Um, 
One of the biggest concerns is misrepresentation of behaviors caused by disabilities as a criminal offense, and it's a significant concern. And that's compounded by racial profiling for First Nations people. So there's a really great need for law enforcement and judicial systems to be better educated about disability-related behaviors to prevent that kind of wrongful accusation and conviction that can start that cycle where you end up in the justice system and in, when it's because of a disability-related behavior, such as someone who might be on the autistic spectrum and is stressed by the interaction, not making eye contact, um, someone, you know, it's a behavior that's related to the disability not intended to be rude to a police person, for example, then this wasn't even a reason that we needed for that individual to be in the, the justice system. And that started a cycle with, for the rest of their life, putting them around that could change with better education and prevent that from happening. You are absolutely right. Can you tell us, uh, talk to us about ableism in terms of your own lived experience, you've obviously, you would have experienced ableism in your life. Can you talk yeah, to us I'm about that? Person, but I'm a woman with a disability. I use a wheelchair for mobility. It's a bright pink electric one. So the pink elephant in the room is being, um, and you know, ableism, people probably think when you relate to a wheelchair, it's going to be stairs, but there's a lot of attitudinal ableism that isn't, I think, even intentional that as a society we need to work on things such as I was working in an employment agency for, for disabled people to help disabled people find work and wondered why the boss was hovering over my shoulder all day and it was because she presumed I couldn't carry the box of brochures I was organising through the printer and get them to a function. Um, just asking that question and trusting the disabled person is the expert in their own life. Uh, so I can never prove it, but a number of jobs when you get to the final three candidates and you didn't have the need to mention that you happen to be sitting in a wheelchair. And then somehow the other candidates are always more experienced than me. You can't prove up, but over time you start to feel it. Um, also, just like living as a person, trying to go about your life on the street, you know, walking to the shops, uh, you get told how brave and wonderful you are for being out and out. And I don't think anyone grows up to able-bodied, non-disabled people and congratulates them for doing their grocery shopping. My highlight in terms of that, as an example, was coming back from the Paralympics. My face was all over the front of every paper in that supermarket. And the lady said, congratulations, and I was about to say thank you. It was a wonderful trip because I was legitimately at the supermarket buying food because after being away at the Paralympics for a few months, going to be hungry. It was for being out and about. It's good to see you leaving the house. Um, so about community expectations of abilities of people with disabilities, if our standard is so low that people think it's amazing we left the house, imagine... Uh, <laughs> got to go before you can be welcome into community events and uh, the employment sector, for example. And also, if anyone who feels that way suddenly acquires a disability, what that will feel like to them. But 
healthy representation of people with disabilities actively participating in the community, doing jobs, living our normal lives, just like everybody else. Absolutely, and it's really interesting that you should you should say that because as a person with vision loss, I um, actually did a lot of forest blockading and I hitchhiked around various parts of Australia by myself and one time I was actually on a, on a tram and I dropped a bag of potatoes because I was shopping and this woman helped me pick them up and I told her I was going to be hitchhiking around Australia in trucks, which I did do, and then she went to the, the Blind Institute and told them what I was doing and they were furious and then they went and told my family and it was just like this domino effect saying, oh my goodness, a blind person doing that. I mean, that's ableism, isn't it? It is. Um, and who were, every single person in that chain of events thought they were helping you when in fact you were, you were the expert in whether you were capable of doing that. I travel all over the world by myself. Um, by my, with a, as a powered wheelchair user, and I'm the one who's able to judge whether I can do that safely, just as you are. I find it really disturbing on your behalf that you are subjected to that level of people checking, are you okay? Because it's not seen as normal that we're to many members of society. I, um, given that it is the International Day of Disability, the take-home message I have for non-disabled people is, if you can't see disability in your workplace or in your community, look around and think about why not. Uh, is there a garbage bin parked in the accessible parking spot? Are attitudes like this happening so people don't feel welcome and included? Uh, are we addressing the systemic barriers to participating? So if, yes, maybe someone hasn't got a work history, but if no one ever gives them it, they can they, how can they get a foot in the door? And opening that and paying disabled people for our skills and experience, we're really often underemployed and things way below our skill set too, not given the chance to find because of attitudes like what you experienced on that trip. Marega, it's been really refreshing talking to you and I felt that it was really important to talk about also the disability aspect as well. I have spent almost the entire show talking about First Nations and the criminal justice system, but it's always good to look at the disability and ableism as well as part of health sovereignty in the International Day of Disability. Any final comments before we finish? Yeah, there's a really... When it comes to First Nations people interacting with the justice system... It's at every level, from with police in the uh, in the actual courts, and uh, when you're then potentially incarcerated, and it's very alarming that first people with a disability network and PWDA are finding that there are failures in the impact process, lack of screening, insufficient access to services, and this is what alarms me. When people have their freedom taken away, and it was potentially because of a lack of understanding by the people making that decision, behavior was because of disability, with no criminal intent, that we then don't have accesses to NDIS, Medicare, the PBS, are getting to First Nations people with a disability in detention. And if we're having a conversation around that issue, really feel it's worthwhile highlighting we need to be addressing people's basic human rights 
while in detention. Absolutely. So there's an urgent need, isn't there, to shift from managing first peoples with disabilities through policing and incarceration to providing essential community-based services. And those services yep. should should be Aboriginal-owned and operating, operated. I would say that, that, um, that would be best facilitated by representatives who are First Nations people with disabilities and advocates and design that as a co-design system um, at all steps of the justice system. And instead of looking straight towards government, look towards things that do provide rehabilitation and better access to be part of the community because otherwise you end up perpetuating this intergenerational cycle of trauma that is caused by interactions with the justice system. Marika, thank you so much for coming onto the program. Just a final thing, what sort of wheelchair do you have? Is it one of the, the, the electric ones? Yes, it's a powered wheelchair. Those Very bright. Bright pink, you said. Yes, if I'm going to have a fashion, if it's part of my fashion, it's a fashion accessory to me, so I like bright, cheery colours. I had a friend who uses used a wheelchair. She's now passed away. And I used to actually go onto a skateboard and I used to hang onto the back of her chair and she would guide me as I skated down the street to the train station. It's really practical. I have a lot of friends with Very practical. Or um, teammates on the Paralympic team and whether it's on a skateboard or a hand on their shoulder, really, like a group of people with disabilities can all work together to um, yeah. make that happen. Absolutely. Thanks so much for coming on, Mariko. It was really lovely to have you. Breath of fresh air. Thanks a lot. Thank you. Good luck with the rest of the show for International Day of People with Disabilities. I'll send you a link. Thanks. Bye. Bye. And that was Mariko, uh, who is a co-president, sorry, co-vice president of People with Disability Australia, the peak body representing disabled Australians. You just heard... Three interviews on this International Day of Disability show, theme being health sovereignty. And I wanted to thank June and Roz and also Marika for coming onto the show. They were marvellous contributors to looking at First Nations people and the criminal justice system and also stolen generation and we also looked at at ableism and in conclusion I'd really like to say that First Peoples Disability Network has published a number of submissions on the institutional racism and ableism in the criminal justice system and they've demonstrated that First Nations people often encounter the justice system with a history of unsupported disability related needs and June actually talked about this quite a lot in her first interview. So we're nearing the end of our show and once again I wanted to thank and also congratulate all our contributors today and it was, it was specifically important also and enlightening to hear about all the lived experiences in regards to racism and ableism. So it's goodbye from Marissa and... It's Disability Day every day. 
Every form of discrimination that exists in our community is magnified and utilised by prisons to cause greater division and disarm solidarity. We've got to really put a lens of perspective on this and know that there are children being incarcerated as young as 10 years old. Police and prisons, they're doing exactly what this colony wants them to. Who do we defend? Police. And who else? Prisons, pull them down. Yeah. <laughs> 3CR, stay tuned, stay radical. And you've been listening to a summer special of the Doing Time show. We'll be back with new shows on Monday, the 22nd of January. I hope you enjoyed today's program. See you later. Stay tuned to 3CR Community Radio.